Welcome to the Black Belter Podcast. This is episode 52. This week's guest is Ariella Figueroa, and Ariella is an ITF Taekwondo competitor, mostly known for the patterns discipline. She has been a world champion, winning gold at the 2017 World Championships in the 4th to 6th degree division. She has also been a four times national champion in the USA. However, it hasn't all been smooth sailing for Ariella. She's had some ups and downs throughout her Taekwondo journey, and I think that's a great example that with dedication and the correct mental attitude, you can achieve your goals. Today I chat to Ariella about how she got into Taekwondo, her journey to joining the ITF she is in now, her training in the lead up to Dublin in 2017, and more. As always, make sure to like, share and subscribe on whatever platform you're using to listen on, and let's get into it. So what's up Ariella? how are you? I'm good Jamie, how are you doing? All good, thanks a million for coming on. Yeah, of course, thank you for having me, I've been a long time fan. <laughs> nice one, it's great to hear people are listening. <laughs> Oh, for real. Uh, so like you were saying, uh, how, how are you finding the, the teaching over over Zoom? And that uh, it's it's not the same as in person, is it? Uh, I think I've got, I like to toot my own horn, kind of like pat myself on the back. I'd like to think I've gotten better at it. It's really about reading the room. And I like to think of half of my job is not only teaching, the other half is entertaining. And so as long as I can keep the kids entertained most of the time, especially through Zoom, where, I mean, it's a TV I have to keep them coming back every week. What makes them keep coming back to my program other watching something else? And so I try and keep it exciting as I can, but it's uh, it's learning to adapt for sure, especially the sparring drills and having to teach patterns the opposite way backwards. It's really teasing my brain where I have to know Taekwondo better than I ever have before. It's testing me as an instructor. Yeah. I suppose that all thing you have to know your patterns back to front. <laughs> yes. And it's so different. And it's like now when kids ask so much in-depth questions, like I got to look it up the encyclopedia because they're asking really more in-depth questions now because now I have to think of it in reverse. So it's like, okay, no, the, the left hand goes on the inside, but not above the left shoulder. No, the right. Okay, hold on. Let me go double check because now I don't want to be giving out the wrong information. I want to make sure I'm right. And so it's really caused me to step up my game, if anything else. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, it's just, it, it's just, it's, it's, You'd much prefer to be in person, though, really, wouldn't you? You'd much prefer to be in person. Oh, absolutely. It's not to say I definitely prefer it in person, especially because it's not the same training on my own, having the same energy as someone yeah. with me, especially, um, you can understand, as a black belt and take one oh, you know, doing sparring drills is nice. You can, shadow, you can shadow box in front of your mirror all day long, but it's not the same thing as hitting pads. It's not the same thing as having to move around someone with that pressure that they apply onto you and that reaction. It's certainly not the same. We're doing, I think, the best we can as martial artists, but we all miss it. We'd be lying if we say we didn't miss it. Yeah. Uh, when do you think it'll be back to, I suppose, somewhat normality? Like, somewhat uh, normal? I don't know. Honestly, I don't know if there's ever going to go back to what we consider normal again, especially because, I mean, look at the size of the Irish World Championships. There was 2,000, 3,000 people there. Yeah. And, I mean, here in the States, we're still not really comfortable with crowds more than, I would say, 10. And so I think it's going to be uh, maybe a year minimum. I think we're going to, the ITF is going to keep trying to adapt what they're doing online, like uh, creating e-tournaments with divisions, like for patterns and for uh, traditional patterns, like pre-arranged. And uh, eventually we're going to have to find a way for breaking. I think we're all going to have to find a way to adapt. But hopefully, I mean, hope no more than a year of this. Because what about you? How bummed were you about the Slovenia World Cup being canceled? Yeah, it's kind of... That that one's hitting more so now, as is because like I haven't been. Like, yeah, it's feeling like usually you know this time of year is when you you be going to a tournament, 
Um, Absolutely. So it's, kind of, it's been so, it feels like it's been yeah. so long because it has been so long, I suppose. It's kind of like that even for the European Championships earlier in the year. Like when they were first cancelled, mm-hmm. it was about six, seven weeks before they were meant to happen. And wow. Like, and I kind of felt like at the, when it was first cancelled, I kind of felt like, ah, look, yeah, whatever. It is what it is. Um, but then yeah. it got to the, the week we were meant to be there. And it was kind of like, oh, shit. It should be, I, was, I was supposed yeah. to be there. I was supposed exactly. to be there. So, um, At least you're, you know you're not alone in feeling that. I think everyone around the world is feeling that right now. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, and it's like, it's, it's, I would have competed in a mask. I think from now on, like everyone's going to have to get their temperature taken at weigh-ins, you know, things like that. I think they're going to be uh, trying to, I think weigh-ins are going to take a lot longer now, longer than they used to, because you have to minimize the amount of people that are allowed in the gym. Or it's going to make it more efficient, on the other hand, because now people are going to have to show up on time. So when they say, if you're supposed to be there at 10.08, you need to be there at 10.08, otherwise you'll miss your spot. Yeah. So it could it could be better, or, or it can make things more efficient, or it could slow things down a little bit. It's going to take some time. We're going to have to find some space to practice and some running room, but eventually we're going to find a way again to be able to continue as we were. It's yeah. just going to take some time, but I, I'm hopeful. Yeah, same. But like that, hopefully not too long. Hopefully, hopefully not too long. <laughs> yeah, for real. Me too. And it's like I'm so used to. From probably 2016, from about the time in Budapest, I've been traveling and training. I would say every other month I'm out of town somewhere at some competition, at some training. And this is the longest I've been home. The last time I was out of town for a Taekwondo event was March at the Warrior Open for in England. That's the last time you were there too, I think. It was the last time. And that, that was, was the last time. And so it's crazy for me to be before. like, wow, this is what it's like to not live out of a suitcase. Yeah. And it was it was just you know before, what I mean? like we I got we I competed on the Saturday, we got back. I went to squad mm-hmm. went to squad training on Sunday, and by Thursday, the European Championships Euros was, was cancelled. Was done. So like, yeah, I'm actually really happy I got that competition in when I did. Now, like looking back, exactly, exactly. I was injured. I injured myself right before the event, and so I was there just to umpire and to help out. But I'm happy that I was able to take part in probably the last ITF event for the year, if not for another year. We'll see if there's going to be events happening in March. I hope so. Yeah, hopefully. But we'll see. Yeah. But I was happy to be at the last one. It's like a badge of honor. Like, I was there. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But like to take it back mm-hmm. like then, how did you get started in Taekwondo? Where did, it, where did your journey begin? Uh, I don't want to sound cliche as everybody else's answer, but of course I wanted to be the pink Power Ranger. Oh, I wanted to be Kimmy. Um, I used to, um, uh, this is an embarrassing story. When people used to like ring the doorbell or like knock on the door, I was like so territorial and I was so like brawlic to fight that I would kick. I wasn't even in Taekwondo or anything, but I would just like get ready to kick whoever was at the door. Like I just had so much energy and I thought I was this Power Ranger, like I was this badass who was ready. And so uh, my parents were really hesitant to put me in martial arts because they thought that it was just going to uh inhibit that behavior or enable it but uh we moved to las vegas from new york city and i wasn't having a great time making friends we moved in like the middle of the school year there was already clicks involved and so we joined the local ymca and i remember watching the taekwondo practice from like above where the weight room was and i was just like in love my parents kept walking around doing the tour and i was just fixated on what they were doing and I've luckily I was ITF Taekwondo and I've just been in love with it ever since I've been doing this since I was nine yeah cool 
Could it have been any other martial arts, do you think? Was it just luck? It was Taekwondo, if it was karate, if it was kickboxing, if it was judo, if it was something? It was something you... about the legwork and the knee control and really just the way we do our patterns. It just looks nice. It's pleasing to the eye. I think that maybe I'm a little bit biased because I've been in this for so long. I think we are one of the mar- premier martial arts that demonstrate not only the martial violence side that Taekwondo can be, but also the art where it's supposed to be beautiful. It's supposed to be eye-catching. It's an art for a reason. And I just don't think other arts can encompass in, sorry, I'm losing my track of the words. I don't think that it can encapsulate all the beauty that ITF Taekwondo can bring through the use of our sine wave. So I don't think it could have just been anything. I just think that it was just kind of like destiny that I fell into Taekwondo and Taekwondo kind of fell into my life. Yeah. I suppose like the pattern sometimes it kind of, it can nearly match more so what you see in something like, mm-hmm. the, in something like the Power Rangers, you know, it kind of. Yeah, exactly. And more like so the choreography, the exactly. Yeah, yeah. Like the, like the sparring doesn't actually look anything like you would see. In, no, not at all. And like especially that. back then, back in 1999, I mean, it was just, People going crazy. I don't think we were headgear. I think our class mouth guards were optional, to be honest. So it's definitely evolved and cleaned up over time to become more sports rather than like what we see in the UFC. Yeah, yeah. But I don't think I would have fallen in love with something as quickly as I did Taekwondo uh, if it would have been something like Jiu-Jitsu or Muay Thai. Not that to knock them, I think they're beautiful arts in their own right. It's just something about our style of uh, maybe it's the continuous sparring, the way we do our patterns. It's just... I don't know. I rock with it. I rock with the vibe of it all. Yeah. And did you do any other sports when you were growing up or was it just, you were just Taekwondo? Uh, I dabbled in a lot of things. I did soccer, uh, American soccer. I did basketball for a long time, trying to follow in my brother's footsteps. But really all my, I just, I always wanted to be in martial arts. Like before I was even in anything, I would be making up kicks. Like I know that's a front kick. They call this a roundhouse. I learned that to jab. <laughs> So I would be doing things like in front of my mirror, just practicing martial arts and just no organization, not knowing really what the hell I'm doing. But I just thought it was fun and I thought it felt empowering. And I really liked that feeling of feeling empowered. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that and so once my parents, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, go on, sorry. Uh, once my parents were comfortable enough putting me in Taekwondo, I was actually like the worst behaved student. You would think like I would just be so grateful to be there and I would just be, you know, that ultra like moto student. And I wasn't. I didn't like the authority placed over me. I didn't want to wear the fancy pajamas. I certainly didn't like that my belt was white. I, in my head, I'm like, no, I'm at least a blue belt. I'm at least halfway to black belt in my head. <laughs> and so really, like Taekwondo has humbled me so much where I don't know what kind of person I would be if I didn't have that to kind of like kick me in the ass and be like, no, sweetie, that's not how it's going to work. And so I actually uh, failed my first test, my first yellow tag test, because I just, I wouldn't listen. They would say like, okay, let's uh, practice our Korean terminology or with, uh, you know, Anjo Mukmyeon, which is kneel and meditate. And I'm like, I don't want to do that. I just want to spar. I hated patterns, despised them. Because I just, I thought everything, I thought this was all supposed to be just, kicking and punching. I thought it was more just like kickboxing and not the art. It wasn't until I had the right influences in my life to show me the parallels of how life imitates art and how I can use that to make my patterns better and how my patterns make my sparring better and my sparring make my patterns better. And it really is this 360 where my parents were lucky that they signed me up with the right people or it's just, you know, 
if there's a God, he put them right in my life. So I would be able to walk on this right path through Taekwondo. If anything, like this is what I think that um, people that look for salvation, whether it be in religion or community service, I found mine through Taekwondo and martial arts. I found my true love through this. And I know it's corny and as cheesy as it sounds. That's like the best way I found to describe it is I'm lucky that I found my soulmate when I was nine. Yeah. And did you, did you get into fights? Did, did it didn't make you more violent? They did like your your you know your parents were uh, hesitant to put you in. No, it, it made me violent? honestly. It made me so much more afraid to fight because I was getting my ass kicked in class <laughs> all the time because I wasn't listening. And so it was it knocked me down a few pegs. Where I'm like, all right, I need to. If I'm going to have this big mouth of mine, as I know is going to get me in trouble, I need to be able to back it up. And so it wasn't uh, probably a good three or four years of ass kicking. Then I'm like, all right, I really need to smarten up because I'm getting tired of these, you know, uh, black eyes and bloody noses and broken fingers. I broke five fingers in Taekwondo before I learned how to close my damn hands because I'm like, no, I'm going to spar my way because it's faster this way. And this is when we had those, like the polyurethane gloves where the fingers would stick out on the sides. Yeah, Do you remember yeah, those? Yeah. Yeah. Broke five fingers in Taekwondo because I was stubborn. And so if anything, Taekwondo has really just been like a big meal of humble pie at some <laughs> points in my life, which is what I needed. Yeah. yeah, I've heard of toes many times, but not many broken fingers. <laughs> oh, that's just because I'm a dumbass. That's because <laughs> I needed to learn five times that I don't like this feeling. And I've never done it since, you know, thank uh, goodness that the gloves have evolved since then. Because yeah. I think most of us, I don't think any of us in the, like, the big Maifas or top 10 gloves that we're used to today, maybe some people really do fight with their hands completely closed. But I think most of us still fight with it open because we just feel a little bit looser that way. And so... I've learned to close my hands and now just out of habit, I prefer to do like my drills with my hands closed just because if I ever need to fight without them, I know my hands are going to be closed because I don't like the feeling of broken fingers anymore. Yeah, for sure. And did, did you start competing straight away? Was competition something you got into right away? Yes, because my school uh, at the time drove competition. We were a competitive school. That was kind of the culture there was you're either doing this for competition or, and this is like a way of life, it's a lifestyle, or you're really just doing it to look good on college applications. It was really like two groups. And I was so young at the time, I'm not going to college that young. And so I definitely drifted more towards the competition side. And my first competition was, I was a green tag. It was in San Diego, California. And it was actually the uh, 1999. Yeah, so it was the same year that I had just started. And I got uh, first place in patterns and I got second place in sparring. And I remember being really upset about second place in sparring. <laughs> That's what I remember walking away with was that I was upset. Like that was close because it had went into like overtime because it was uh, the one round a piece. Then we tied and then we went into the overtime round and then that tied. And then it was the sudden point and she got me and I didn't understand like what that meant. So I was like, oh, okay, she got me. Let's just keep going. And I was like, no, that's it. And I'm like, what the fuck? I hate this. And so from then on, like, I always kind of, I'm not as good at point fighting as I should be just because I've never trained for it. But that was my first case of continuous sparring, really. And I learned that I didn't like that feeling of losing. Yeah. Well, look, your your, your first experience of competition was much better than mine. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, was it? What was yours? Uh, for patterns, I was a white belt for the, for, for the patterns. I did the first half of four actual punch. Sajid Rugi, I didn't know okay. that, I didn't know it was the second half. We'd only ever really practiced the first oh, half. Oh no. So I did the first half <laughs> and uh, I lost obviously and in the sparring, I think I've told the story a couple of times. I was sitting next to this guy and he was mm-hmm. and he was telling me, he goes, uh, 
I hate sparring. And I goes, oh, yeah, yeah. And he goes, uh, I have never won a spar in my life. Oh, now, no. That being said, like, he was, like, we were... <laughs> we, we were eight and we were white belts like how many I think he had like two matches and he'd lost both or something but whatever he said I've never won a spar in okay. my life so I was sitting there thinking alright I want to spar this guy so and sure enough we did spar it was a, and, he, and he won so oh no okay yeah see and I remember that the the coaching style was so much different at the time which we could get away with a lot more then and so the style of sparring kind of matched the style of the coaching, where it was just back then, it was just intense, psychic, 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 pressure, 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 get him, get him, get him. And so it was just so different now, where now it's a game of chess, where you go, I go, I react, you react. And the style is so much different, where you need to be a fast thinker now. And I think that we breed that now with the younger generation, than with kind of the, they've been doing it for a long time, where we're just bred to a certain way of just let's go, let's go, let's go, where that's not necessarily working in this uh, style of sparring these days. So it's interesting to see how these new styles come and go in waves, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. I, I think even like I look there, I look at the some of the white, sorry, the yellow belts that we have, like even, mm -hmm. they're, they're definitely way more switched oh. on. Definitely way more switched on than I, I was know. as a yellow belt. I'm so lucky that I'm not a, <laughs> a color belt now. I would, be, I would never get my start in Taekwondo. Because it was, uh, I was getting my ass kicked in sparring so much that I was like, all right, I got to find a way to be good at something in this. And so I just really fell in love with the beauty of what the patterns look like. But for the long time, I always thought, you know, I, I feel like I'm good at this, but I don't feel like I am as good as I could possibly be. And I always wanted to be in this ITF. I didn't get into this ITF till late in the game, till like 2016. And I had always wanted to be in it. But... I never really had my foot in the door. I never really had a way in until um, Master Cody Springs, who teaches down in uh, San Diego in California. He opened up his school and then I joined with him. And it was really just like the unlocking of everything in my life. that I felt like, oh, this is what it was meant to be like. And I think, you know, what would have happened if I had those opportunities when I was a color belt? <laughs> yeah. How different it would be now to be able to go straight into the ITF because I bounced around from organization to organization for a few times, just always trying to find my fit because I never had a way into this group until Master Springs Youth. And that was when I was able to get in. But up until that point, it was just, how do I get in? Like, I'm watching this group and I'm like, this is how patterns are supposed to look like. Like, I've been told it should be like this, it should be like this. But I've never seen anyone be able to actually do it until I watch practitioners in this group that are just amazing, like Master Sk Master Siska, Mark Trotter, Sylvia Faragu, Isabel Bond, like all these incredible competitors, especially in patterns. They were like the pillars of like, this is what it's meant to be like. And so once I came into this organization, I was like, wow, I'm starstruck. What am I doing here? I'm not good enough to be here. And so I hope that kids that are bred in this organization now are growing up in these pillars thinking I can be just like that. What's separating me from them other than hard work? Yeah. Yeah. And what so was just your... because it's a different generation, I hope they don't think that it's impossible. It's still very possible. Mm. And what were your experiences like in the other ITFs? Would you have competed at their world championships and, and that like? Uh, I have, I don't necessarily want to sound like I'm talking shit about any other organization necessarily. So I won't name names, but uh, I found this one to be the most efficient by far. Okay. Um, and it's, it was, there's a level of professionalism with this, within this one. And they really try and go with the, 
encyclopedia as much as possible. Like if I'm not, I'm not Grandmaster Murano. I can't quote the exact page numbers, but somewhere within the thick encyclopedia, I'm not even sure what volume it is because I'm not a good fourth degree. I can't tell you what exact volume and page number and all that. But I know it says that there's supposed to be like an elevated stage and there's supposed to be a podium, which are things that like at this other world championship, they didn't have. So it was, it really just felt like any other regional tournament that I kind of spent money, my time, my training away from my family to go to. And it just felt like any other kind of regional event. And I felt really let down by it. Yeah. And then I watched the World Cup. I remember I was on the Naval Base in San Diego at the time and I was watching the World Cup online. And I was watching the four through six degree men's matches. And it was master, now he's a master, Stephen Legros, he's based out of San Jose, California. And I was watching him perform patterns and he's a much different body type than me. I'm only, uh, we don't use the metric system. I'm only five foot two and I'm 105 pounds. I'm like 45 kilograms. And he's a much bigger guy, but he does patterns so gracefully and so beautifully. And I'm thinking, why the fuck don't I move like that? <laughs> like this, like it, it doesn't make sense that this guy who you would think is against his body type to be able to move so beautifully, but I'm smaller in stature and I like to think I'm graceful, but I don't look like that. And so that was that, that turning point for me where I was like, I have to get my foot in the right doors to be able to learn from the best possible, not even to compete, but I, I thought I knew what Taekwondo was supposed to look like. And then I watched the World Cup in Brighton and then my world just like opened up, like this is what ITF is meant to be. Yeah. And so then did you just kind of spend between 2012 and 2016 kind of looking for a way to get away get away yeah i would say between yeah between 2012 and i would say 20 i started training heavily uh right at the beginning of 2015 and i started training specifically for the itf world championships in 2017 so 2015 is really when i started putting on like the gas pedal for everything when i started training with master cody springsuit down in san diego and i was training probably uh, five to six times a week, but that was nothing compared to in 2017 when I went into the whole training camp where that was two-a-day trainings of patterns and stretching and movement drills just to keep everything fresh. But I started, yeah, back in 2015, just for the world championship, I gave myself two years to prepare just because I knew I had to adapt my patterns so much. I knew I was okay at patterns. I was decent, but there was just so much I had to change. And so I wanted to give myself enough hard work and preparation time to be able to give myself the final result. I don't want to put too much pressure on myself. I even chose not to go to the world championships in Italy just because I felt that I wasn't ready, that I was going to get too starstruck <laughs> and too stuck in my own head and too nervous, which is exactly what happened to me in Budapest in 2016 at my first international event in this ITF. Okay. And how, how did that one, how did you get on there? Um... I was a third degree at the time. I walk in and as soon as I walk in, like I just, it just happened to be dumb luck that I see Katya Solove and Master Solove. They just kind of like cross paths and I'm like, oh, holy shit. Like this is like the Academy Awards. Like these are celebrities in my eyes. Like this is the A-list. I'm here. Like I'm a, I'm a fraud. I'm an imposter. What am I doing here? I'm not good enough to be here. I had all this, this crazy self-doubt and it's because I was watching other competitors warm up and I was worried about everyone else and I wasn't worried about me. And then I went up in my first round and someone had told me that the person I was going up against was a former uh, junior medalist. They were from Canada and they had won like a year previously. And I was like, well, that's great. That's great for my team. 
awesome. So I go up there and I perform Quan Gay and then I won five to zero. And all of a sudden my emotions went from like really shaky to good luck, everybody else. You are all here for second place. <laughs> like I, my, I got so full of myself and just so egocentric that it, the next round they called for, um, what do they call for? They called for Chang Zhang and I started doing Jun Jun and I completely went through like half of the pattern. And then realize all the judges are looking at me confused. And I'm like, I just completely messed this up. Like I came all the way down here. I sacrificed all the time. I only get one pattern, which is what, two and a half minutes at most to yeah. impress the judges, to have them in my zone. And I just blew it. And then because some of the judges then got confused of, oh, wait, which pattern is it? They started <laughs> voting for me, which then caused the computers to mess up. So we get to stand there at uh, uh. just our resting position for about like, 15 minutes so I get to sit in self-shame as my coach is just like what are we let's get ready for sparring like there goes that one like on to the next like no reason to be negative about it but there's there's no way not to you're sitting there for 10 minutes until they dismiss you just for them to raise either hand like like we know she won let's just can I just go cry in silence and in peace now please and so that was like a that was my first experience at a first international event within this organization and then the very next year at the World Championships in Ireland, I, I won my first World Championships. And it was because it, I had completely changed my focus to not just getting physically prepared. I felt I had done that well enough, but I could tell like that was an experience. Like my mental preparation was nowhere near where I needed it to be, to be able to prepare for this caliber, to be able to feel comfortable with myself and happy with myself that I was. I was uh, accepted there and meant to be there, that this wasn't like this imposter syndrome. Yeah. And so that was like a big transformation in my life, going from I'm a competitor, I'm a competitor, train your body, train your body. But I had never put stock into how are you training your mind. Yeah. What, what, what were the main things that you did? Was there anything kind of standout that you did like that in terms of like training, like mental exercises or like visualization, uh, anything like that? From... I had moved from San Diego to Northern California to Berkeley at the time. And then I was going to train with uh, master Stephen Legros, And I was really excited to go and train with him because I knew he was a world medalist and he had trained world champions before. And so I thought that we were going to have this similar way of like, Oh, it's going to be hard work. And so he take one though all the time, you know, uh, go hard or stay the hell home kind of attitude. And he came with this whole, like the first thing he would ask me every time I got in the door is, how are you today? Not like, hey, how's it going? But like, no, I genuinely know how is your mindset? So I know how best to work with you today. And I learned like, it's okay to be frustrated today. It's okay to be sad today. And to work with those emotions is to learn to regulate those emotions, essentially. And so he really just helped me find the calmness and the beauty within the patterns, essentially. Because I had this habit of turning very like quickly and intensely between my patterns. But that's not very beautiful in a way to move between the techniques. And so he really helped um, calm my mind down in between the patterns. So it reflected the beauty of the patterns. If I am stuck and anxious in my head, then my patterns will look rigid and anxious and not as beautiful as I am if I'm relaxed. And so he really tried to help emphasize the relaxation, the beauty in life. Like he really introduced Tai Chi patterns to me, which is a... Uh, tactic from Grandmaster Lan, okay. which is something I uh, do, I train all of the time. That's an essential part of my training camps for patterns is I have to set aside time, probably an hour, 
an hour and a half a day, four times a week, just for Tai Chi style patterns. So I can learn how to chain everything together at the exact right moment. When should everything twist? Where should my sine wave break? Uh, where is my breath control? Because for the longest time, I had focused so much on putting everything into my patterns, all my power, all my speed, all my breath. But no one, and this is by no fault of anyone but mine, I suppose, no one ever told me to breathe in. You would think like I would know how to breathe as an adult, but I was just constantly. And so I'm finishing my patterns thinking, you know, fuck, I'm so out of shape. I'm so out of breath. Like, how am I ever going to be able to go to worlds if I'm out of breath all the time after I just do Shunji and Zongun? But then I realized if I breathe in between the techniques, it allows my body to relax because you can't breathe in very rigidly. It's, it's not natural. You breathe in, relax. So that should reflect in the relaxation of the pattern in between the techniques. And so that was really, I think, the, the training. It wasn't so much a physical training as much as it was a mental adaptation of a different way to think during the patterns. And okay. I think that really set me apart in Tai Chi style patterns was essential to that. Okay, interesting. And do you think, how did you kind of deal with the whole idea of when you got to, when you got to the worlds in Ireland and seeing the Solovays or seeing other people like that? Was that just something like, I, I, I like, you just, it wasn't, it was just, was it just it was in nice Budapest that was your first time? For it. it was, it was my first time. So it was really nice to be prepared for it from uh, Budapest, but in that experience, I always just try and do better than my last international events. So I was telling myself, if I can just make it past two rounds, just two rounds, I am thrilled. I don't, I don't even care about meddling necessarily. I just want to prove to myself that I'm not going to choke, that I can make it past two rounds. That's all I need. And so I think what separated me from everybody else was everybody was worried about beating each other. Well, I'm just so focused on beating myself. And so what changed, and I know you've mentioned this with another guest, I can't think of the name in a previous podcast, where if you're watching your competition warm up, like it, it or even watching their matches, it can throw you off because you're now losing precious time that you have to prime your mind and your body. I mean, did you work all the time to just fuck off and go watch somebody else's match for five minutes? Because that's five minutes you could be using to just even mentally prepare, meditate, listen to good music that will get you into it. But that really changed uh, my mindset was in 2017, which I'm going to throw my headphones on. I'm going to find a corner to myself and I'm just going to work by myself. Like I was there for the opening ceremony. I walked in with my team. Uh, we sat down and then I went off to the warm up area and I worked in Germany. We went through the opening ceremonies. I sat with my team and then I went to the warm up area and I worked. So I prefer now to just get in my own space. Don't worry about who else is there. I know they're going to be there. I know it's going to be amazing and I can deal with the shock and awe after I compete. Luckily, I'm always on the first day because I do patterns. And so I get the rest of the week to just chill and talk and socialize. But it's that first day I've learned, like, I have to be here for me. And I get, and I've learned, like, it's okay to be a little bit spoiled on that day. Like, it's, it's okay to feel a little bit entitled. You know what I mean? I just ask the others in my life to still love me through that time and through that hour that I'm going to need. I'm going to be a little bit bitchy and I'm going to be anxious. And if I need water, I need water. If I need space, I need space. If I want a hug, I want a hug. For that hour, I get to be a princess. And then after that, I'm chill again. That's like the agreement that I've tried to make with myself. Yeah. 
But like that, it, it's not too selfish because everybody gets their turn throughout the week. Everybody gets their turn exactly. to, to be selfish. So it's not too selfish at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. And so it's always nice. That's why I think it's always nice to see everybody toward the end of the day, because it's a totally different energy. If you notice, not only at the beginning of the event itself, but then towards the end, but every beginning of the day and every end of the day has a totally different energy. Yeah. yeah. And so I, I'm lucky that I compete at the beginning of the day. So I get all the nerves and all the anxiety out at the beginning because I, I hate having to compete at the end. Where if you're sitting there all day, you cool up, you warm down, you cool up, you're warm down. Oh, now they're going to lunch. So it's, I love competing at the beginning of the day. I love to get it over with. I love competing at the beginning of the week. It's just, I've, I've learned to find the, the correct times to fangirl out, pretty much. I've learned when to keep control of when, okay, this time is for me. I'm allowed to be selfish. I'm allowed to just say, you know, they're great. They're incredible. But right now I have to focus on me. They, can, they have people fanning out on them all the time. I'll get to them later. So that's what I've learned is to be a little bit selfish in that regard. Yeah. I think eventually you just get used to being around those people anyway. <laughs> yeah, that helps too. It does see- help. Especially because over time they'll be like, oh, that's, that's Ariel. I remember you from this. And I'm like, you know my name? Like that's, that's <laughs> incredible. I never thought that I would be at this level where like uh, people are, that I have looked up to for so long are liking my Instagram posts. Like that's, it's crazy to me. I still fangirl out about it at home. You should see me like <laughs> online. I play it cool, but at home I'm freaking out. It's, it's a trip. Yeah. yeah. I think we, I think here in Europe we have the benefit because you know, we have like so many, I suppose people who will be well known in the sport. Like you see them all, exactly. you see them at least once a year anyway, cause you're at the European championships, but maybe. Yeah. You know, it's not, it's only, not every like two times a year, the European yeah. championships, the world cup, the world championships. There's so, there's so much going on within Europe. I'm so jealous about that. <laughs> Yeah, it's you're, uh, you. You can always there's always the next one. You see, that's the thing. Like with, with us, it's uh, over here. There's always exactly. the, there's always the next big one. It's, and that's why I feel I was so lucky to be able to take part in the last like big European event, which is the Warrior Open. Shout out to Tim Cool and Master De Silva. So I feel really lucky and uh, happy to be able to take part in that. And I mean, maybe you can tell me what it's like in Europe because necessarily here it's not really under control. And so I think that the European circuit is going to start the competition scene again far faster than the Americans will. And so do you think that it's going to be uh, happening again soon? Do you think there's going to be another competition season soon? I don't know. I, uh, like really? The, like, Uh-oh. The, like, well, you see, like, like, I think as far as I understand it, and it's kind of the case somewhat here, is like cases have definitely started, have, have started going up. Mm-hmm. Like there isn't as many deaths as, like as there would have been with this many cases before so it's hard, yeah. to, it's hard to know but like obviously if things I don't know are, are deaths maybe going to start catching up but then like there's the, yeah. whole, thing, there's the whole thing with Ireland like you there's only like a green list there's only so many countries you can go to where you don't have to quarantine okay interesting weeks. so like that could itself cause a problem because like yeah. cer- certain countries might be able to fly to the countries where these tournaments are on without having to quarantine for two weeks mm-hmm. and, uh, I think it's it's going to be a bit complicated. I think so. Uh, Absolutely, and it's see. it's just like, of course, it's perfect timing. Uh, I don't necessarily want to count my chickens before they hatch, but I got a job offer in England to go down there and teach, and I would I'm starting the visa process to be able to start that, and it's just it's perfect timing where I'm going down there to really start like my big Taekwondo competitive career and now there's no competition so it's it's just kismet it's just perfect timing and so hopefully by the time I get down there there'll be some form of 
something worked out, even if it's just more online tournaments, but I'd be happy just to get in a room with black belts again, to be honest. Like I've been, I've been training on my own since March and it's very lonely. I train uh, boxing with Master De Silva on the weekends. I train uh, with Queen's Taekwondo Center throughout the week as well. But it's, it's, and it's great online. This is an um, amazing alternative, and we're so lucky and fortunate to be able to have the technology to do this. I don't know how this would have affected us 10 years ago before the advent of FaceTime and Zoom, but it's, just, it's not the same as being able to be in groups of people all working to make each other better. It's not the same as a team. Yeah. So when do you think you're going to make the move? Is it going to be is it going to be much longer before you get to move from move to England? Uh, as soon as England will have me, I know I'll have to go through a quarantine process, but that doesn't matter to me because I get jet lagged anyway. So I'll use that two weeks to catch up on sleep. But I'm hoping sometime shortly after the new year, between January, uh, January, January and March is what I'm hoping. Yeah, nice. So we'll see. Right now, it's just about the visa process. That's what we're waiting on. Oh, okay. And I want to make sure I can get my my dog down there too, my English bulldog. Uh, you made sure they were English ones. <laughs> yes, of course, of course. Yeah. I got to be able to fit in. That's it. His name is Spanky. He's a, he's amazing. Yeah. He's a big fat meatball. And has there ever been a time where you're like, uh, how have you how did you ever found having to have you had to like to balance a job or anything like that or college with with, with training? Have you have found to that to be a problem at any point in time? Yes, a hundred percent, especially here in America, because our student loan uh, business, because that's what it is, is outrageous. So I'm incredibly fortunate where I have had opportunities to be able to work and go to school and train, but not necessarily all at the same time. I found it really hard to balance it. And if anybody has any ideas to help me, that'd be great, because right now I'm enrolled in school again. And so I don't want to take out student loans because then that would hinder me from ability to be able to, let's say, move to Europe if I wanted to. They do credit checks. If I had bad credit and I have massive debt, they're not going to let me go because it looks like I'm derelict in payments or I'm just in massive debt. So I've been paying for school completely out of pocket since high school. It's taken me longer to get my degree, but at the same time, I'm not weighed down by massive debt. So it's a complicated process, but right now I'm in a really fortunate position where uh, I sold my house a few years ago and I've made the right investments where I've been able to work part-time jobs here and there, but mostly just focus on my training. So I've been working on my degree in communication because I would like a career in that one day, but right now I'm not willing to take out the student loans to make that happen faster, especially with the elections coming up. We don't know how the interest rates are going to fluctuate. So I don't think right now is the time for me to be doing that. So I've been paying for school completely out of pocket. So it's, it's a balancing act to be able to say, okay, now I got to take at least four months off of school, which sucks. But at the same time, I'll be able to save money because I'm going to pick up a job. And then that job is going to help me be able to go to Taekwondo events. And the Taekwondo events is going to be my, you know, my vacation for my school and my work. So it's really this balancing act that you have to learn which parts of you can take, uh, like self-control of the car and which times you can't when the competitor is allowed to drive, when the student's allowed to drive, when the adult and the worker has to drive. It's a balancing act I've learned. And if one part of that person is driving the whole time, you're going to get burnt out. So it has to be an act. It has to be a balance. Yeah. It's kind of, I suppose, everybody has the same, don't they? When it's not a, when Taekwondo's not, when you're not funded, it's, um, it is that balance. Oh, it's, it's incredibly difficult. I don't know how it is in um, other countries like Ireland or... 
some of the uh, bigger countries like Russia or Argentina. I don't know if they get funding. I don't believe that they do. But unfortunately, with being a lesser known martial art, no, it falls on the competitor's shoulders 100% of the time, not only for the cost of the competitions, but the transportation to the competitions, the transportation, transportation to the training, the training equipment, the authorized training equipment, the cost of the rental of the gym. It's a lot. And it's a balancing act to be able to have the mental fortitude to keep up with it, especially have family time as well. Yeah, It's not easy. Yeah. And so when you when you when you got to when you got to Dublin, um, you said mm-hmm. you were just happy getting past. You just want to win two rounds. So was it a bit of a yeah. shock when you'd found yourself in the final and winning in the final as well? Yes, because I just I never expected to get there. I had expected to get past two rounds. That was my goal. I'm telling myself I'm going to meet my goal. But then I kept going past and past and past, and so it just became this feeling of. Like, I'm in love with this moment. Like, I got this, like, energy from, especially just being on the center stage, this energy from the people in the crowd. Like, we're all here doing what we love. Like, there's other places we could all choose to be. Most of us are adults. We can put our money elsewhere and go to other places. We're, most of us traveled to Ireland for the like, first time. We don't have to be at City West. We could be in uh, Dublin itself. We could be anywhere. So to have that energy, if people are choosing to be there, and we're all doing what we love. And I'm on that center stage. And it's like, I got farther than I thought I ever would. I was just so in love with that moment that I was just, it, I, it wasn't even like, I'm going through the pattern. I'm making, you know, a, um, assessments along the way of, okay, I need to adjust my L stances. That needs to be higher. This needs to be in the right placement. It was just, I, it was like nirvana. And I've never felt anything like that moment of like, this is what they meditate for. This is the form of like, this is, I feel great about myself. I feel great about this energy. I feel the beauty of the movements, but at the same time, I'm feeling dangerous because these are dangerous techniques that we're throwing. And so I think that, like I said earlier, my competition was just so worried about beating me while I was trying to chase this feeling of like, this is nirvana. This is happiness to me. This is nirvana. This is what Taekwondo should feel like. This is what it's about. And I just been really chasing that feeling ever since 2017 because I didn't expect to win. So now it's like, okay, I'm this first time world champion and now all eyes are on me. And not only am I a first time world champion, I'm the first, as far as I'm aware, I'm the first American to win a world championship in patterns, at least as an adult in the four through six degree division. And so now it's like all eyes are on me and I didn't expect this. And so it was a, a change in my mindset that I had to make also going now from Ireland into Germany and then even from uh, Ireland into the 2018 World Cup in Sydney it was now when I go into the way and suddenly like before no I could blend into a room no one would notice me now it's like oh there's you know there's Ariella she's the one over there and it's like oh now I'm the one that I was afraid of like you know I'm the like there's Katia Zolove there's uh, Julio Carlos there's Master Solovey, there's all these amazing people. Now it's like, oh, there's Ariella. And I'm like, no, I'm just Ariella. I'm, I'm not, I, it's just me still. So it, it's weird for me to kind of be seen in that uh, kind of pedestal. Yeah. I, I, where I'm not, I'm not used to that. Did you feel that affected your performance then? Somewhat. And it also didn't help that I just had the, I had a bad draw. The, I went up against 
I, I don't want to mix up the Lynn sisters. I don't want to be mean. So I went up against one of the Lynn sisters from Norway. And she, it was just a bad draw. She went on to win the whole damn thing. And she had also, and she's amazing. She also won the World Cup in Sydney previously to that. And oh, yeah, so it was just that. luck of the draw where maybe if I had gone up against someone else, I would have been able to go farther. I also think it just comes down to luck of the draw. And maybe there needs to be a seeding system because I think for the first round, you had the world champ at the time who was myself and you had the world cup champ at the time who was Miss Lynn going up against each other first round. And I think there was a similar situation in one of the sparring divisions where it was Julio Carlos, Timothy Bose and Matthias from Argentina, where all three of them were like within the first two rounds of each other. So it's like all the best matches are at the very beginning where this may pay to have a seating system. And I don't know if they have that in Waco that's, not really a, a major power influence here in the States yet. And so I'm not too familiar with how Waco works. Do they have a seating system within their brackets? Uh, I'm not totally sure. Like I know they do have rankings. They do have a, a Waco rankings, but okay. I'm, not sure, I'm not sure how that seating actually affects their tournaments. I must actually find out. Yeah. Um, if I'd be interested because I knew that there were discussions at the last ITF Congress that possibly introduced it. But again, that's just rumors. Yeah. Like even if they didn't And I think right a, now... I'm, like, I think even if they didn't have a like a, a ranking system, um, if they like if they just expanded the seeding, because obviously the first and second are seeded at the next tournament, but I think mm-hmm. if they even seeded the two bronze medalists as well, so like you could only like interesting to where you could only meet in the semi final again, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. It does make so, sense. So like you'd have like if we had. Um, the person who won gold and then the person they beat in the semi-final if they're drawn on the same side of the draw then one goes to the top one goes to the bottom and the same them from the two people from the other side I think I think that would maybe work a bit better Um, yeah I think we could benefit from something like that just so you don't have um, like a heavy sided bracket where you have all of the medalists on one side of the bracket and then you have a very what's considered light bracket at the other end, not that necessarily that it's less talented, not at all. It's just you have all the previous medalists on one side where it's not necessarily evened out, where I think it could be more of an even spread and possibly more fair. I mean, I'm not on I'm not on the tournament committee. I don't understand how those work. I don't. It sounds too stressful for me. I'll stick to patterns. Yeah. I, I'll stick with the easy work. But yeah. I gotta ask, who do you have for the fights tonight, Costa or, or Israel? Uh, I've got Israel Adesanya. To, yeah, me too. To win, I think he'll win by decision. I don't think he'll knock him out. Or maybe a late no. stoppage, maybe four or five, maybe in the fourth. A late stoppage, but I think a decision is uh, is probably more likely. Well, I'm looking forward to. It. Have, do you think that he's? You think it's ever going to go to the ground, or you think Israel's going to stuff every takedown? Uh, I don't think Costa's even going to go for the takedown. Really no, interesting. Think... He was showing off that black belt the other day. You don't think he's going to try and use it? No, I think he's. Uh... No, not at all. I don't think so. Israel's too in his head. He's gonna try and make it a phone booth fight. I hope so. I think he's gonna. I think he'd be too. I. I don't know. I think he'd be a bit. A bit I think he'd be a bit too arrogant. I think he's gonna think that he can yeah. land one clean strike and blast him out. Um, and I don't think he's gonna land any strike. Uh, I think. And it, I'm. I'm very fortunate living in Las Vegas because we're the fight capital of the world. So I've seen. Uh, like fighters walking down the street. Like I've seen Roxy Montefiore. I've seen her at like Fried Electronics. And I used to work at this martial arts studio here called, uh, I'm going to mess up the name. It's in Japanese. Ryoku or Ryoko. I'm never exactly sure how to pronounce it. 
but they try and fancy themselves like the UFC Performance Center out here, but it's uh, not exclusive just for UFC fighters. But we would have UFC fighters come into our studio because we would have um, world uh, medalists and Olympians in judo and jiu-jitsu. We had boxers. I was a taekwondo instructor at the time. We had Muay Thai specialists that also taught at various MMA centers throughout the city, like um, Ken Sebi Jiu-Jitsu and Couture MMA and Syndicate. So we have so many great people that would come through this center. And I actually had the pleasure to meet Paul Acosta, Paul Acosta, and he is the biggest guy nice. I've ever seen. Like, maybe it's just because I'm in small in stature where I just felt like a child. Like, if Shaquille O'Neal is bigger than this, like, it's not by much. Like, that is a big dude at 185. And so I think Israel's going to have to stick to striking and moving in and out techniques because once I think if he gets his hand around his neck, like, he's a strong dude to get off of you, man. So I think it's going to have to come to just striking. I hope so. I prefer striking fights. I like kickboxing. Yeah. But I don't mind. I've studied jiu-jitsu a little bit. I've taken classes here and there. I'm not in any way proficient. But I, I prefer to watch standing fights. <clears throat> yeah. But I like it when it goes to the ground. It gets exciting. But we'll see. I hope it's just not <clears throat> what I call like fat manning, where it's just you're holding each other against the cage for five minutes, like uh, Usman did to Mosfidal. And then that's he just the tap danced on his feet for 25 <laughs> that's minutes. The, that's the worst. What a waste of $60 that was. I uh, was so upset about that. Yeah. What, what time is the, what time is the, are the fights going to be on for you? Normal time? Isn't it? Yeah, it's normal time for uh, you, I think a it? little bit later for me. They usually start at five. I think tonight they're starting at seven for the main fight card. 3, what about you? 3 a.m., 4 a.m.? 3 a.m., yeah. No, so really? I, uh, all the t- if, if I see... Two to, if I see a 3 a.m. start for, oh, for, a no. main, for a main card and two title fights, you just know it's going to be like half five in the morning. Yeah, it's going to be before, late. When you get to bed. So, um, yeah. Damn. That, but, and see, that's gonna, I'm a big UFC fan. And so that's going to have to be an adjustment for me when I move. Is I got to wake up at 3 a.m. to watch my favorite fighters. Yeah. That's going to be an adjustment. I'm, I'm very spoiled here that it happens most of the time 15 minutes from my house, either at the apex which is 15 minutes from me or down on the strip, which is 25 minutes from me. So I'm very lucky to be in the fight capital of the world doing a, a sport that I just, I'm in love with. Yeah. Who do you got for the Habib and Gaethje fight? Uh, I think Khabib wins. I think Khabib will Yeah, win. absolutely. I think Khabib 100%. Will win, Khabib will win a decision, I think, as well. You think it'll go to five rounds? Yeah. I don't think it'll go to five rounds. I no. think maybe four. Yeah, the more I think about it, though, I'm, I'm more I'm very intrigued to see that fight. I think it's a great fight, um. But I think it's it's hard to bet against Khabib because like, he's he's it's he the perfect said, record. He's the perfect he's the perfect it. MMA yeah. fighter. You got Floyd Mayweather, who's the perfect boxer, and you got Khabib, who's the perfect fighter. Perfect record. You can't knock his record. Yeah, you can't talk shit. That's it. So I'm I'm excited for that one. I'm bummed that the Ferguson and the Poirier fight fell through, though. That would have been a great fight card to add on to it. Yeah, for sure. That would be yeah. That would be. I don't know who I'd pick for that one. I was big on. I, I was, know that one's gonna be. Dude, yeah. That one's tough. I would still go with Ferguson though. Yeah. Nothing about him. He's just ruthless. I was big on Ferguson and before the Gaethje fight. I was big on Ferguson before the Gaethje fight. I thought Ferguson would be Khabib. Uh, I thought he was gonna be. Mm-hmm. I thought he was gonna be Gaethje. Fairly okay. Yeah, that's and so yeah. It's up in the air. <laughs> the Ferguson's and Khabib fight. It's just it's the fight that never was. Like it's never gonna happen. As much as everyone would have loved it, it was what, like seven years in the making, something like that. It's yeah. just, it's, 
it's it's a wet dream. It ain't gonna happen. It sucks. Yeah, but we'll we'll get through it together. So, like in terms of like in terms of like like you said, you sometimes see some fighters around. Like the the mm-hmm. is it just fighters knocking around? Like, are they do they have to do they have people coming up to them looking for pictures and things like that, or is it just is it just like a normal thing? Like, uh, it dep- it really depends on the popularity. <clears throat> like, I have not seen McGregor. I know when he's like in town because all the news outlets go crazy, and like I can recognize like, oh, that's Red Rock Canyon. That's where I ride my bike too. Or like, oh. That's- that's the smoothie shop that he's at off of Tropicana in the 215. Like I can recognize like where they are. So it depends on their stardom, like the popular, like crazy stardom ones, like you're never going to see, but like the more well, like everyday fighters that aren't at that massive stardom yet. Yeah. You see them at like grocery stores and things like that all the time. (laughs) You do. Absolutely. And it's like, they really, they don't mind as long as like, obviously if they look like they're in a rush, then they're in a rush, but they're like everyday people. You know what I mean? If they're busy, they're busy. But if you want to go up and ask them a big picture, like most of the time they're really nice and they're happy to get the recognition. Yeah. And it's crazy because like they train at local gyms here. And so you could go to any, and like, a, like what, what do they call them? Casualties in the UFC world. You could, or uh, civilians, sorry. You could be any civilian or something. Just not knowing really anything about the UFC or MMA world and go into what looks like a hole in the wall gym and you can have UFC professionals there fighters there champions there working out with just like the adult class and you would never know that they have this level of popularity yeah and so it's it's really i think it's like the only sport uh professional if you want to call it a sport uh it's really the only professional sport where you can mix and mingle with like your favorite fighters like you can't do that in the nba you can't do that in baseball you can't do that in american football i don't think you could do that in european football where you could just like go up and hang out with like your favorite stars or like I can go down here and I can talk to like uh, Montefari if I wanted to. I know she trains out of syndicate MMA or 10th Planet Jiu-Jitsu, probably both. So I know I can just look that up and I can join the classes and I know that I could be in the class with her if I work hard enough where they invite me to the adult class where it's a little bit more proficient. But then you get access to this world of martial artists. And I like to think that martial arts is like a universal language where we're all there to make each other better. Yes, it's an individual sport where we all want to succeed individually, but that's not going to happen if you don't help me and be your best in practice. And you're not going to get to your best if I don't give my absolute best to you in practice. And so I like to think that martial art is like the one of the few universal languages that we can all speak to be better for each other. Yeah. Yeah. It's probably... It could be maybe good and bad, I suppose. Like that, that, mm-hmm. that, that, like the fact, like if you are a professional fight, like you'd like to think that everybody has, like they have their own kind of camp, high level elite camp that they're only yeah. around, uh, that they're only training with, like elite people train with elite people. Like it's probably not the best if somebody can walk in off the street maybe and train with this person. Of course, not the yeah. Best for them. But it's, it's, and that's but, why they but do separate think that, them. Yeah, yeah but it is kind of cool as well. It's kind of cool as well though, that there is that access yeah. to them, but you can meet them because, like, like, and you, said, you just really have to show that you are proficient enough to be able to be in those classes. Like they're not just going to take some adult who's never thrown a punch in their life and throw you with the professionals. But if you're like you and I, who have been doing martial arts for the better part of their lives, we're going to get invited to the, the, the big kids class. You know what I mean? <laughs> At least and so it, anyway. it's, it's amazing <laughs> being able to, I don't want to say have that exclusivity because we work so hard to be able to have that access, but it's a really nice benefit. It's really cool. And to be able to then that they also pick your minds about things too. 
that they may never have thought of, like lead leg sidekicks in the use of uh, U- UFC, not just to the knee where we would call a pushing kick, but to the body where you see some of the kickboxers like Steven Wonderboy and Israel use. So it's awesome to be able to see those influences slowly working their way in. And that's because of, you know, people like us, kickboxers, that are giving those influences. And it's because of collaboration and it's amazing. Yeah. That's why I would say Adesanya is probably my favorite fighter at the moment for his, for his stand-up style. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. He's one of the most proficient strikers I've ever seen. Definitely. Yeah. Who's like, your favorite fighter? If you had to pick a, a favorite fighter, because I know you ask everybody that, so I'm, <laughs> I'm going to get the jump on you. If you, you had to pick me, a favorite fighter. If I had to pick one. Okay. Discipline. Uh, of a uh, favorite fighter of all time. My favorite fighter at the moment would probably be Adesanya. If I had to pick one all time. Okay. Probably GSP. Um, nice. Good choice. Damn, that's a good choice. If I had to pick a boxer, it would probably, it's probably, it's Julio Cesar Chavez. Really? Mine's Lomachenko. Really? Yeah. Ooh, a modern one, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, of course. I gotta. He's, yeah. he's on fire right now. I mean, he's amazing. His quick twitch muscles, even after his surgeries, are just on point. Yeah, I think... One of the fastest, I think, in the world. Yeah, I think he's fighting soon, isn't he? I think he's fighting soon. I think so, yeah. Tier pretty three. soon. It's tier and have you seen that this. trick he can do with a water bottle in the, yeah. in the air? It's crazy. That hand-eye coordination. I try it once and I send it flying across the room. I can't do it. I've tried. I try to do it for the gram. I can't yeah. do it. How many outtakes you had think you had though? <laughs> oh, I'm still working on it. Uh, yeah. Probably months worth of outtakes. Yeah. Months of just like me constantly hitting a bottle, like blooper after blooper. I've yet to be able to hit it once or twice. I'm working on it. Yeah, I haven't given it a shot. I must have a look. I must give it a shot maybe and see see. How much practice I need. <laughs> That's the new Instagram challenge. Watch. Yeah. Everybody's going to be doing that now. The Lomachenko Figueroa bottle challenge. Yeah. <laughs> so look, I know, I know you've said that you um, you you obviously teach, and, have, teach Taekwondo in different mm-hmm. gyms and stuff. Would you, is there maybe a goal in the pipeline of having your own gym, having your own club, your own school? I think I'm actually one of the very few um, instructors or black belts in the world that I'd never want my own school. That is just, I don't know. It's just, it's never been appealing to me. I love to train and I love to teach others, but I've never had, um, I guess the right mentors in my life for business, because I think it's one thing to be able to teach proficiently and effectively, but it's a completely different matter to be able to run a business. And I've seen some amazing world-class instructors who run their business into the ground because they don't, they think that because I simply know how to teach that those skills or abilities somehow transfer over where I don't see how they translate. So I I don't know if it's just that I've never had the right business mentors in my life. Yes. But I see teaching and I see running a school as two different things. And I just don't have what it takes, I think, to run my own business. And it's not something I'm interested in. I don't know what I do. I don't know what I would do, honestly, like, it's, it's so hard. How would I get students? How would I market? How would I keep up on my own training? How do I keep the lights on here and at my house? How do I not cut myself a salary? Like, I see instructors around the world really struggle with this. And then once it takes off, I mean, they're great at it because then the people can start appreciating what they're bringing to the table, not just through Taekwondo, but what the values that they can bring to children in terms of discipline and structure. But I think I can instill those values just without starting my own school. So I like working with other people. 
I wouldn't mind necessarily opening up like a community center, like at a YMCA or a city center or something like that. But opening up my own school, I don't think it's in the cards for me. Too intimidating. I'll stick to world championships. <laughs> nah, not even maybe when the competition is done. Hmm. That's the thing. Like people have asked me before, do I ever, like, when do I, when am I going to stop competing? And I'm telling you, I plan on being like that 60 year old, 75 year old, fourth <laughs> degree, still trying to do Juche because I don't, I, and everybody gives me shit for this all the time. I don't want to promote, like, I'm so happy where I'm at. I think I was, I think I was due this summer for fifth, but I'm so in love with uh, the art, this competing and competing at high levels where I don't, Ain't nobody got time for that of like the fifth and sixth of uh, the fifth degree patterns where like if it's not for my competition, I don't necessarily want to commit the time to it. And I know that's selfish and I know I have like all of the black belts just like rolling their eyes at me right now. But it's the it's the truth. I don't I don't see myself ever stopping competing unless my body just gives out. And then maybe I'll think about opening up a school or start coaching. <laughs> but until then, like I just I love like I said, I love that feeling that I got. When I was just, I'm in love with this feeling of competing right now. Like I, I'm doing what I love. There's 2,000 people here all watching, doing what they love. Like this, this is what it should feel like. This in between the patterns, this motion, the beauty of it. I'm chasing that feeling again. And so I can't imagine trying to chase that feeling and chase a buck while trying to get my school successful. I don't think, it's like Ronda Rousey. I think why, one of the reasons that she just fell off was because she was had too many um, too many feet in the same camp, uh, different camps. Yeah. So it's like she's spinning too many plates, trying to do too many things at once. I mean, she was trying to act. She was trying to get into wrestling. She's trying to fight. She's doing endorsements and Instagram shit. And so it's like, where is the where is the focus on what got you here? Where and it doesn't. It, you can change focus. That's life. You can change your uh, what you need primarily over time. But if you're here to fight, then you have to put all of your focus into that one thing to be successful. I'm not very good at multitasking, so I can't expect to put all of my time and effort into my school and expect my competition to go low. I can't put all of my time and effort into my competition and then expect me to be able to eat at night. So I've always been able to find a way to make a living without uh, Taekwondo as my primary source of income. So I like to try and keep that going as much as I can. As much as it sucks having to pay my way for competitions, <laughs> yeah, I'm working on sure. the sponsorships. I'm working on them. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, they're definitely needed. What about uh, you? Do you think you're going to open up a school one day? Uh, yeah, like I was getting fairly close there before. Um, kind of yeah. COVID, before kind of COVID hit, but no, it's like you said, I don't. Uh, I'm on the fence at the moment whether it's a good time to be trying to start yeah and open a business. I understand. Uh, so, yeah. And it's like, I, that's what I've done before. I've, I've had my own programs in other people's spaces, like at the uh, Ryoku training center, where it was just like a massive training space and we had multiple disciplines, but I don't necessarily own the building. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? So it's like, I don't mind opening up a program, but I don't want to open up my own brick and mortar. Like I have the keys to the business school. I think that's a lot of responsibilities and I can barely do my personal taxes. I can't imagine trying to do business taxes. So I, I don't mind doing a program necessarily, but I don't think I could ever run a, my own school school and expect to be successful while trying to do what I love. Yeah. And so I, I love to uh, teach, yeah. but like, I don't love trying to keep the lights on. Yeah. And like, even at the moment like that, if you were able to be stable, like I said, like we changed from 
we had 10 pod we had 10 per pod mm-hmm. six per pod to like i don't know like in three weeks time are we going to be having like there's going to be it could there be no clubs open you know what i mean it's it's at the moment yeah. it's, it's so unstable it's so like unpredictable that, right that, now like, Never mind about like just worrying about getting people in the door, like you said, like enough people to pay the rent, enough people to, you know, make some money off of it, like and run a good business, but it's just so unstable, like it just like Yeah, it's an unpredictable you know what I mean? time. There's, there's other things that it may not be the, that, like yeah. Yeah. But, uh, and it's like you have to know your market too, because maybe in an environment where it's safe to open up again, people are just sick and fucking tired of being in their houses and want to get outside. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I've noticed with my virtual academy classes that they were pretty full at the beginning uh, or midway through the summer. And then as their classes started to go on, they're going uh, back to the traditional dojongs. And that's, that's great because that means that one, that it's safe and that they're able to, and two, they miss their friends. They want to yeah. be able to see each other. And so it gives hope that one day we'll be able to adapt back to what they, things were, even if that means having to reserve a spot on the floor through an app an hour ahead of time. But that means you'll be in the class. Just means we have to adapt. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. So I suppose, look, I suppose before we kind of finish up, really, it's uh, it's my turn to ask you if you had to pick a favorite fighter, uh, who would you pick? Oh no, I was hoping I could get out of that one. Um, let's see. Does it have to be one discipline, or can it be multiple? Uh, fire out a few, so and we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> okay, for Bob. I think it has to, I mean, it's so hard to argue against Floyd Mayweather with a perfect record, but I just love Lomachenko's style. It's just something about his, his speed and his ruthlessness, but at the same time, I like that he's a humble guy, and I like that he's, you know, close to his family, and he loves dogs, so it's like maybe that's personal bias going into it. So it's a toss-up between Floyd Mayweather, Floyd Mayweather and Lomachenko for sure. God, MMA, it's so hard because it changes like every week for me. It changes so much. Um, I really, really like Sugar Show at the moment. I think he's, uh, I think something's up with his weird with his leg. I look forward to the rematch because before that he was on fire. I don't think he necessarily had to leave in a stretcher, but I'm not him. I don't know. I really like him. I agree with you. GSP was uh, one of the absolute best. I'm a McGregor fan. I don't love his personal antics. Yeah, yeah. But I think his ability to break down and assess his opponents to be able to predict what he'll be able to do because not only does he study the tape so well, he knows his own self so well. I think that's amazing. And at the end of the day, like I'm always comparing the female fighters to Katya Solovey and I'm thinking like Katya could take them. This is nothing for her. Like at the end of the day, like I think my ultimate favorite of all time has got to be Katya Solovey. Yeah. To be honest, I actually, I'd put her as my favorite fighter as well. Cash yeah, out. would you? Yeah. Yeah. I hope yeah. she's listening. I'm, I'm the biggest fan. <laughs> I don't know. I'm bowing Eng- down. I'm the biggest fan. I don't know if her English is that good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's, I'm always comparing like female fighters to her in the UFC, and I'm like, they're gassing out so quick, and it's like I've seen them like they're okay. There's nothing spectacular about them, but then you watch Kathy, and it's like the way she moves in the ring is it's like she's meant to be there. She's magic. Yeah. It's just it's incredible to watch her and to see like these like these okay. Fighters, I think like most of the female fighters are okay, but some of them are just stellar. Like I don't like I will butcher her name. The champion from China. I don't want to mess up her name. Uh, she wants to go forget Yes, thank you. I think uh her and Rosemary Eunice are two of my favorite female fighters at the moment right now. But again, I think that they would be nothing for Katya. Give Katya three months. Give her a good decent <laughs> fight camp and she'll take them. Dana White, get that contract ready. <laughs> That'd be a, yeah, could be could be a cool one to see. 
Even if it was a stand-up. Yeah, just I'll a, be a good manager. A sta- even if it I'll was be a good manager contest. for you. Yeah, even if it was just a stand-up contest, you know, could be interesting. Exactly. It would be. It'd be really good to see. Yeah. But look, I think uh, yeah, I think we we'll leave it there. Uh, thanks, Mina, for coming on. Uh, really enjoyed the chat. Really All right, thank you. This was awesome. That you made it feel like a conversation, not so much as a like a, like an interview. Like I was afraid of. I was freaking out at the beginning of this. I forgot it was even going to be like broadcasted. So thank you. Yeah, that's what we like to do. Just keep it a just keep it a chat, really, as opposed to me. I suppose bombard no questions. I think it's much better if it uh, if it kind of flows. And yeah, it was really chill. Nice thank one. you. Yeah. So thanks, Mina, for coming on. Hopefully. Uh, You'll be back, I suppose, in a in a gym training soon, and not just online. And hopefully, you might be too long. Yeah, getting, you might be too long getting over to England. Yeah, hopefully, I'll see you in the new year. Yeah, hopefully. So uh, yeah, take care. All the best. All right, stay safe, Jamie. I'll see you later. Bye.